Welcome to Translation Confidential. This is Peter Argandizo and Patrick Daly. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Translation Confidential. Today we're going to focus on human connection. Um, and also we're really excited to be back from summer hiatus. Um, so why the episode on human connection? Uh, you know, I think it's really important uh, to talk about you know what it is that we do here at Argo in the context of this very important fundamental in our, you know, we've talked about the Argo way, which is our core set of fundamentals at Argo Translation. And number 26 is about human connection. And I think it's incredibly important because no matter what you do, at least let's talk about from the translation perspective, but I bet all of you in your day-to-day lives um, do this in some way, and that is to create human connection. So translation, we could say, well, we're selling words on a page, we're selling words on a screen, or we're selling an interpreter's time. But that's just really not the case. I mean, what we're really selling is that connection. So in other words, whether we're helping a client to better engage with a customer, to help them understand why their product or their service is better than someone else's product or service, or whether we're helping a customer to better engage with one of their employees. Really, that's human connection. That's essentially what what we're selling. Patrick, what do you think? Yeah, um, I'm happy to be back after our, our summer hiatus. Uh, we had the podcast company outing with me and Peter, so that was a, a fun, <laughs> uh, fun day of golf, even though Peter kicked my butt, so I'm still not over it. Um, but yeah, I mean, jumping back into our topic, um, I like to think of it as, you know, we're selling understanding or trying to remove some sort of barrier, whereas you can think of it from on the surface level as words on a page or interpreter's time or whatever it might be. But when you really boil it down, it's really that understanding and what bleeds into Peter's topic of, you know, human connection. It's really, we want everyone to understand what everyone else is saying. Absolutely. And I, I, I think we did a really good job of capturing it. So a few years ago, um, uh, Patrick and myself and uh, the rest of the group uh, here at Argo, this was great. We did a workshop with um, a branding agency, and it was to understand, to try to get to the true gist of what it is that Argo does and capture it in a few paragraphs. Um, and uh, essentially, they would call that Simple Truth. That's the name of the, the company, in fact. And they said, we're going to help you capture your simple truth or your essence. And I want to read it because I think it's really, really good. Translation can seem technical, mechanical, scientific, but underneath it all, it's personal. And when it's not, it starts to break down. It's not as intuitive. It's not as relevant. It's not as connective. It's not as human. This is why we don't just look at the personal as being underneath it all. We are a team of language nerds, tech ninjas, professional problem solvers, and honest counselors out to uphold the human side of translation. Understanding as vital to it all. Understanding client teams, their businesses, their obstacles, their opportunities, and the speed at which they work. Understanding customers and employees and how to communicate in a way that's clear and authentic. Understanding technology and how it can enable problem solving and enhance experience. Understanding how all this impacts business success in every corner of the world. I love that. I, I just, I really, I really think it captures the essence um, 
of what we do, and I think it captures that whole idea of human connection. Um, yeah, another. That was another, a fun exercise, wasn't it, Patrick? When we it was, that? and another point I'm thinking of as we kind of as you read through that again um, is that you know we really you you can hear this the common thread through a lot of our episodes is um, we really focus on human translation a lot, right? There's this other aspect of the translation industry that's machine translation, and that's not really the wheelhouse that that Argo's trying to to be in. So we're really putting all most of our eggs in that human basket of like that's that's where we want to focus and that's where we we thrive and excel. So that's another layer of you know human connection is like people are doing all of this work. We're not just popping it into some machine translation engine. Um, it's really everything boils down to people. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes that's where um, you know machine translation misses the boat. You know, you hear it now whether it's in conference interpreting and they're doing, you know, auto, auto-created auto and auto-translated subtitles or, you know, language is incredibly dynamic. And I think any effort, whatever effort that might be, whether it's machine translation or using an underqualified trans- translator or whatever it is, if you're missing the mark where you're not creating that connection, then it's it's a failed effort, right? And I, I think... Um, that really speaks to the heart of the matter. Mm-hmm. I have uh, another common theme is I like to think in analogies. Um, so my analogy for today is um, I like to think of translation as kind of the car engine for any business. You really don't think about it until it's broken. And then once it is broken or bad, you kind of have that, oh crap moment of like, what do I do now? How do I fix it? And how much is it going to cost type deal? Whereas if you're thinking about it constantly and as a necessity, then you really won't it won't break on you, number one. And number two, you won't have to worry about additional costs once it does break. Yeah, I like that, Patrick. Well, I think, you know, I think really uh, two things quickly. I was very lucky to beat you in golf. You usually destroy me. So <laughs> I'll take the win. I'm sure the next time you'll be out for blood. Uh, we, we will do that again uh, this summer. So we'll see how that goes. But I think <clears throat> in order to explore the topic, uh, I think in the best way, I think we have to look at the negative side first. So, I mean, let's talk about some places where human connection breaks down. Uh, Patrick, do you have any examples where where it, it's not working, where there's a disconnect in terms of human connection? Yeah, I would say um, the first one that comes to mind is is really having empathy. Um, you know, even just thinking to to back when I was working at Argo, um, it is it's very fast paced, and there's a lot going on at any given time. So sometimes you don't think of, oh, I've already loaded up this translator with five projects today. Maybe I should send this one to someone else. You kind of just sometimes get stuck in that that fast-paced environment, and you don't really think everything through. So um, luckily, uh, our translators know that they can very much um, respond to us and be like, hey, I'm too busy. I can't take this on. So really trying to get ahead of that as well, trying to be a little bit more proactive as opposed to reactive um, when you're reactive, things usually fall off the rails. So I'd say being proactive and being empathetic are, are two huge places to start. Yeah, I really like that, Patrick. I mean, what I think of, too, in terms of empathy, and you know, we, we talk about this a lot with our project managers and our sales team, is that you know, sometimes a customer will come to us and say, you know, oh my gosh, I'm really struggling. I, gotta, you know, I have to get this done. And you know, maybe the project is way too large. 
to get done in a given time period. And, you know, that's where we have to put our thinking caps on and say, hey, let's have some empathy here. This person is working on a project. It's tied to some initiative, whether it's a trade show or whether it's, you know, some human resource initiative, something internal. And I think being able to climb onto the other side of the equation, so being able to see see the world from that customer's viewpoint, or, or again, you, you brought up the idea of a translator to understand like where where they're at, you know, that ability to have empathy is huge. Um, I was talking to my wife last night and she was telling me about an interview she saw with David Axelrod and he was talking about his 500th episode of his podcast and all the various guests he, he has. And he has them from all sides of the political spectrum. And he was saying, well, obviously Axelrod's a... a, a a democratic, um, you know, he comes from, he was in the Obama administration, and he was talking about Karl Rove, exactly on the polar opposite end from um, political spectrum. But he said one of the things that he realized is when he started talking to Karl Rove is that the two of them share this common experience, which is having lost a parent at a young age. And he said, you know, it really made him think differently. Like it made him see Karl Rove differently. It made him see... Um, the world more from his end, like why some of the things that he does, you know, gave him a different level of understanding. It gave him empathy. So I think to me, that's also an inspiring thing is that, you know, even if if you're at polar opposites, you're, you're having a disagreement with something, someone, you're having a negotiation. If you can have some empathy and see the world from their eyes, uh, things are obviously better. You, you, you get to that human connection much faster. Yeah, I mean, this is this is all circling back to, you know, where we started to, of, you know, understanding and communication. Those are the biggest um, kind of barriers that even we run into with clients of like, we don't know the situation. We don't know the context. We don't know why it's important. So really laying that groundwork of understanding so everyone's on a level playing field is, is super beneficial. Yeah, and I think, you know, another spot where it breaks down is prejudice and you know, right away you think of uh, that meaning, you know, there's certain things that you think of, but I think if you break it down, right, it comes from the Latin of judicare, which is to uh, decide ahead of time, right, to judge someone ahead of time. And I think that sometimes we do that in business, you know, again, it's like, oh, here comes, you know, this customer again, they always have a rush. Well, you know, maybe it's good to dig into it and say, well, why do they always have a rush? How, how are there some ways that I could help them? Um, I, I think, you know, just, of course, we always come to decisions in our mind, right? We get a bunch of data, like Patrick said, things are moving quickly. You get a few data points and you're like, all right, I already know what the situation is. Well, maybe dig a little deeper, ask another question and see if you can get behind the reasoning. And sometimes you're, you're able to offer, you know, better assistance, I think. Um, what else, Patrick? What, what, what are some other ways you think? Yeah, I mean, when I when I saw um, our show notes say I'm, I'm prejudiced and deciding ahead of time, I kind of went to having like a predetermined cost in mind, and that might apply maybe to like a new buyer of translation of like, oh, I've got this, whatever, three page document. It should only cost me a hundred bucks, um, and really just kind of that's like the a lack of understanding on the buyer side of like just the marketplace as a whole of like how much a certain level of translation cost but that's where it's the language service providers job to come in and really educate the client and help them to understand you know why why the cost is where it is and what value there is in that price point 
Absolutely, another good example. And and then I think there's also these other places where I think human connection breaks down, and it's because it you don't really give it an option, right? Um, we're talking about bad behavior, selfish behavior, generally taking advantage of others, um, and bad faith negotiations, right? Um, I think these are things that happen in business, and sort of lumping them into to one topic. I you know I just think of you know, um, if you're trying to uh, to negotiate and you aren't able to climb into the other person's shoes to understand, like, what are they trying to get to? What are you trying to get to? And how do you bridge that gap? You know, I, I, I tie that back into, you know, faulty negotiations, essentially. Or I think of, you know, even bad behavior by whether it's an employee, a colleague, a vendor. Um, it really, you know... Uh, uh, breaks that link, breaks that human connection, you know, whether someone's, you know, trying to cover up not meeting a deadline or, um, you know, whether whether they're bullying someone, whether they're, you know, whatever the reason is, like you, you see bad behavior in the workplace sometimes. And I think what that does, it has a multiplier effect, right? If it's one person and, um, you know, they're, they're, they're showing that bad behavior, I think it makes up to 10 people unhappy, right? I mean, it's, you know, people always talk about, you know, a bad apple and how that spoils the, the bushel, right? And I, I think it's very true. Yeah, I think, um, you know, as as everyone goes on throughout their career, I think it's important to try and realize those red flags and realize them as early <clears> as you can and really try and either get away or get ahead of them. Um, what I was thinking when I saw this part of our notes is, um, you know, a lot of times in RFPs, um, the the prospective buyer will be kind of jockeying two vendors against each other and saying, oh, if you can get to this price, you'll get it. And then someone meets them at that price and they go back to the other vendor and go, ooh, vendor A came in at this price, can you beat them? And kind of just turns into a race to the bottom, which really undermines any sort of quality that might be had um, from the RFP. So it definitely happens on both sides. It happens, um, it can happen on the you know, internal uh, language service provider side, but it can also happen on the client side. Absolutely. And I, I'm always, I've always been a big believer in karma and I think eventually that comes back to bite you. So <laughs> for sure, that's a great example. If, yeah, well, I think that's my advice. If you're seeing that in an RFP, that is the time to, at least in my opinion, let the, uh, the prospective buyer know that thank them for their time and that you no longer wish to proceed in that RFP. Yeah. I mean, I won't, I won't mention the company, but uh, this was probably a good, oh gosh, 15 years or so ago. Um, great relationship with this firm, very large Fortune 500 company, and suddenly someone with some flash of brilliance said, hey, we're going to do an RFP, and they there was bad behavior on multiple levels, and I, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Patrick. It's like an old wound. Here it comes. Um, Sorry to twist the dagger. <laughs> yes, exactly. But what they did is they invited – first of all, I thought this was too big. They invited like 10 vendors that they were really seriously vetting. But then what they did is into the pricing component, they invited like 40 vendors. So they had no intention of using those other 30 vendors, but they knew they would drive the price down. So in an open call, and it was this kind of backfired on them, you know, people were kind of asking questions and the line was open. So then vendors started comparing notes 
And it became very evident that like, well, who are the, all these other people that are involved? Uh, and that really artificially drove the price down. And then what they did is they did a reverse Dutch auction. So, um, you know, consider, you know, this actually a reverse Dutch auction because you could see all the languages and then you'd see the pricing and the pricing kept going down. And at a certain point, the price was below what we would have paid to get the translation done. So uh, I'm getting a frantic call from the buyer saying, hey, you're the guy. We really want to choose you. We want to choose your firm. You've been with us a long time. Um, You have to lower your rates. At that point, I decided if we did the work, we'd lose money. And that's not a win-win for anybody. And I really thought that that was kind of bad faith uh, negotiations. So we put in our original price and we disconnected from the reverse auction. And I've never regretted it. We've been a far different company since then. And, um, you know, you have to stand up for for what's right. And that was certainly what's wrong. So any uh, companies out there looking to do RFPs, please don't do that. Uh, It just gives you a bad name. So, uh, yeah, thanks, uh, Patrick, for rubbing <laughs> salt in that one. Hey, on that note, we should really look at positive examples. I, I, think we should, I think we should move to positive examples of human connection. That was definitely a negative one. Um, you know, I, I think, again, in our world, we have all sorts of ability to create this connection. And one of the things that I thought of was a project you worked on, Patrick. Uh, you could talk a little bit about, about the uh, translated uh, community website you did for, for bartenders. Yeah, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to name drop it, but like you said, it was um, yeah, it's fine. Uh, it's called the Blend, um, and it is um, you know a series of articles and kind of community-driven initiatives, um, you know, drink recipes to really kind of bring together a community of bartenders um, across the world. I think you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm I'm a little rusty on my memory, but I think it was in like three or four languages. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so really kind of trying to get that global footprint. Um, but yeah, that was really cool to do um, th- that website and really see how, how it impacts the community. Yeah, and I think, you know, building on that, right, um, you know, think of websites that are translated from municipalities, uh, law enforcement, uh, charitable organizations. I mean, it's just things as simple as like, hey, what day does the garbage come or where do I bring, you know, my my materials that are harder to recycle, like batteries or, you know, creating that connection inside of a community, making people believe and understand that they're part of the community regardless of their language. I mean, really, it's just about fostering commun- connection inside of the community and promoting that human connection, I, I think, is, is really important. I mean, we, gosh, I mean, think of all the Think of all the telephonic interpretation clients we have that are inside of schools, charitable organizations. I mean, the work that we do for the food pantry, uh, it's amazing stuff, really. Yeah, it's really cool. I've, I've even seen some of that um, that content in action. Um, one of our clients had been uh, the Chicago Police Department, and when, if you ever uh, have the need to go into a police department in Chicago, you'll see a whole list of signs of you know how to how to give the officers your report and it's in english arabic polish korean spanish they just have a lot of languages there so if you have the misfortune of needing to file a police report you at least know that hey they've put a little bit of emphasis behind language resources and they want to be able to understand you and they want to be able to help you so 
it's really cool to kind of see some of that stuff actually live. Some of our stuff, like, I wouldn't go on a school website, but something like this in a police department, uh, I've unfortunately had to visit, and then I see all these resources, and it's it's really cool to see it come to life. Yeah, I mean, I I, uh, I respect um, the department, you know, for putting that extra effort in, and we, we support a few different police departments across the country with both written translation and telephonic interpretation, and you know, that's really where they're trying to, again, connect with their constituents. I, I think it's really, really important. And, and charitable organizations and even, you know, um, um, local religious institutions, you know, having that ability to connect through translation and interpretation only makes their communities larger and I think in, in, in essence helps. Like I, I can even think, um, you know, my, my dad talks about uh, when he first came to the United States and uh, through a local organization, he ended up, and they didn't call it ELL back then, you know, in, in English language learners. Uh, I believe they, they called it English for foreigners is what they called it back then. Um, and, you know, through through the city, he was able to take English lessons. Um, and in an interesting uh, twist of fate, that ended up being my history teacher in high school. And he said, well, I think I know your dad. <laughs> so it's pretty funny. Um, so, you know, just... Again, the um, uh, at at the lowest level, like you think of, you know, this is not some big, huge initiative that you know requires uh, Congress approval. This is things that are done on the ground by these organizations, which is really awesome. Um, if we swing it over to corporate communications, um, you know, gosh, I, I think of like the HR world, right? I mean, think of this: uh, when you work for a company, how many emails, notices? do you get every day about the 401k plan, the insurance, the, you know, hours of operation? Gosh, think of COVID, right? This was a huge thing during COVID. Companies were changing their idea of what they were going to do and how they were going to deal with things almost on a, a, you know, on an hourly or daily basis. Um, If you get those notices and they're not in your language, it's... uh, Right to the trash can. Yeah. I mean, nobody knows what to do. Uh, it's really, really important. So that's that's a huge part of what we do too. I mean, gosh, Patrick, I know you worked on tons of corporate communications projects. Yeah, it's um, it was always satisfying to see those those larger companies who have a global footprint and global offices to really take the time to actually care about translation and care about their people. Um, and we would do notices you know, sometimes on the fly, sometimes they would need it that same day. Um, so really, we we understand that every need is different and the speed of every project is different but again it all it all boils down to communication really providing that context to your provider yeah and i think um you know i think of telephonic interpretation as well and the different ways that's used you know in 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 terms of uh you know companies uh, one of our clients is a huge hotel chain and they use it in two sides one to support their call center to better serve their customers when they call in and the other way is to better support their employees so if they're doing you know, performance reviews um, with an employee that doesn't speak English. They're able to do that just as they would with any other employee, which is great. Um, They also, you know, use it for disciplinary meetings, um, you know, uh, uh, larger meetings, you know, small group meetings where they're doing benefits rollouts, you know, those kind of things. So it's really important, again, all in the effort of creating greater engagement. Um, I mean, really, I think kind of what it boils down to uh, for me, Patrick, is really just, uh, we talk about this in some of our marketing as well, right? It's just the elimination of language barriers, right? In that case, language becomes 
irrelevant. In other words, it's not an impediment to what you're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I like to think of it um, kind of a situation they described when I had the good fortune of being able to study abroad is you're you're getting dropped somewhere in unfamiliar territory and you have to deal with it, adapt, and survive. So really it's how how can you utilize any translation services to help you survive, thrive, and, and move forward with your business. Absolutely. Well, this, this was a great episode. I'm, you know, this is, uh, this is a good way to come back off of uh, summer hiatus. And Patrick, you know, at this point in the show, I always ask, what is your biggest takeaway from today? Yeah, um, I'm going to go back to another uh, uh, analogy and go back to a lot of people like to think of translation as the squeaky wheel and they don't want to grease it. So I think it's really important to stress that, you know, it does need grease, it does need attention, and just the benefits of it are are fantastic and they're huge and it really um, creates engagement for, for the end user, whoever's reading or listening to that material. They... They may not be able to show it or communicate it, but they are so much happier that it's in their native language than them trying to have to translate it for themselves. Yeah, I, I uh, that that's really great, Patrick. For me as well, I think my biggest takeaway is um, really the idea of uh, empathy. You know, having empathy in um, all of our interactions, I think, just improves everything. It is definitely what creates that human connection. I think understanding both sides of uh, the equation are really, really helpful. And I also understand that I beat you at golf. Third time's the charm. Yes, exactly. So there will be a rematch. We'll talk about it. Um, so, So very good for this episode of Translation Confidential. This is Peter and Patrick signing off. Thanks for joining us.